Welcome to Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, where after our usual technical issues, we get the show on the road and start talking about iPhone mounts, GPS mounts, handlebars, their positioning, and things like throttle position sensors and how you can make your bike start easier. All these things by listening to this podcast. This show is brought to you by Recluse, makers of their world-famous auto clutch, but that's not all they make. They make oil for your Recluse-equipped bike. They make clutch dampers for bikes that need them, clutch covers, billet clutch covers, slave cylinders, all kinds of protective equipment for the drivetrain, even adjustable reach levers. And they're used by both the Monster Energy Star Racing Yamaha and Rockstar Energy Factory Husqvarna team, so you know they're good. And uh, I use them too, so let's get on to the show. Live from Pahrump, this is Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This is show number 53. This is the uh, show, podcast, live show, whatever you want to call it, where we answer. What do we answer, Logan? Motorcycle-related questions. About motorcycles and motorcycle products? Yeah. All of the above. Yep. And Logan is going to say more than three words uh, in sentences tonight. That's his That's his goal. Uh, so... We're going to get right to it. Uh, we have a long list of questions. Uh, everybody's been locked up uh, trying to figure things out. I think we have some good ones tonight. I know there's one that I want to read and answer myself there, Logan. So if you pass me the clipboard um, or just the papers, we're all good. Hey, by the way, this show is brought to you by uh, DDC. It's a Delaney Drive Components. Uh, they are gears above the competition. Uh they're lightweight, Swiss cheese-like, long-lasting, super Sano, really nice sprockets. And so if you want to check those out, uh, ddc.net. Um, if you want to get a discount code, I think you can email me. I might be able to help you out there. Um, show them some support. Uh, also, Climb is a big supporter of Dirt Bike Test and um, Jimmy Lewis in general. Uh they help us out with our off-road schools. They make awesome gear. I wear it all the time. In fact, you know how durable their gear is? So what color was the gear I was wearing today, Heather? I don't remember. You don't remember? Aren't you supposed to be fashion conscious and stuff? I, I don't remember what color. It was kind of like that olive green. Oh, yeah. So, so that gear is, has to be more than five years old. It's it's old. And it's like, why are you wearing old gear? Well, because I'm saving my new gear for photo modeling stuff. And I'm wearing old gear that actually it shows me how good my new gear is. Because just in that evolution, they've changed stuff. And they've just released their new Dakar gear, which, by the way, looks really good. Uh, and I'll tell you, it's some of the best fitting gear. Uh, and I'm just talking about gear I've been wearing for five years that still fits. and But it's just the way they've in, in, uh, adjusted the fit and stuff like that has been good. So, And even on some of the older stuff, they're offering some discounts right now. I've seen them putting some stuff up on social media. It's basically just a, another colorway of the current stuff. So uh, check out Climb on the, uh, on the internets, uh, climb.com, and you will probably be pretty happy if you wear some of their gear. So those people keep us in touch uh, and help us do this. I'm... Uh, Pretty stoked about it. What kind of you were wearing? You're wearing a climb T-shirt, aren't you, Logan? Yeah, 
That's yeah. good. Supporting. Yeah. But you don't wear climb gear. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, we could that's that's a good that's a good way to do it because if you're photo modeling, you want to be in climb gear, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you look good on that little Honda rally bike. Um so uh okay, where's the question? So a friend of mine, Bob Coleman, um sent me an email and he said, could you discuss and recommend which GPS mounts work best for your bikes? As you know, many mounts are still poor quality and vibrate causing signal and or power connection loss. Others don't sit right on the handlebars. Do you feel tower mounts are better than flat or bald handlebar mounts? Your insights would be very helpful. Um, so I, because I'm always putting different things on my handlebars, I tend to use a lot of RAM mounting solutions. And so that's the ball mount. Those are the RAM balls. And it sort of depends. There's the standard size, which I think is like a three-quarter inch ball that um, works for smaller things and stuff. And then we use like this giant inch and a half ball when I mount rally stuff on there. And... Um, because I'm changing stuff all the time, it's just a very versatile, easy way to move things around. Um, I know Touratech makes some of the most complicated, crazy ass 762 piece that you assemble by yourself with detailed instructions that the instructions are half the size of their catalog. And if you've seen their catalog, you probably know what I'm talking about. Some crazy mounts uh they're very specific to certain gps's i don't know if they're still doing it but back in the day they were some of the most um you know ones that uh isolated stuff and then there's all these ones that pop up that work on different phones and stuff like that so i found that for me the ram stuff works really good uh combined with different companies highway dirt bikes was making some really cool iphone mounts that were basically indestructible uh and then you know, there's just different, you know, tablet holders if you're trying to put a tablet on there. Uh, with, for instance, with my Trail Tech stuff, and I run the Trail Tech Voyager, um, I uh, use, they have a Ram ball mount that goes on the back of that. So they're interchangeable bike to bike. I actually mount my antenna and my buddy tracking antenna all on there. And then my bikes all have the pigtail for the power. And I just basically plug them in and screw them on with a ram ball and it's done and ram balls have a certain amount of vibration isolation so it kind of helps there um if you hit them they tend to move as opposed to break uh so that's kind of good um so i've been pretty happy with the uh, with that and another thing another thing that i have mounted on ram balls is my double take mirrors and if you have a dual sport bike and you want a mirror that actually works, Double Take makes uh, really good mirrors. Then they use a RAM mounting system as well. So, uh, Bob, hopefully that um, answers that question. Uh, you know, Jimmy, is, is he maybe also talking about when he's talking about connections? I think most of those connections, like I use mostly the Garmin stuff. Right. That, that part's proprietary. And I haven't really had trouble with connections. I mean – other than some really worn out stuff with the Garmin mount. And then you put the Ram mount to the back of that or whatever you're going to mount it to. Right. And um, so I know on some of the, some of the trail techs, the, on the newer Voyager pro, they've had some issues with um, connection because it's a cradle. The unit actually docks into a cradle. And so they've had some issues. Um, I haven't had it yet, but 
other people have maybe in different environments, wetter environments or something, because there's like basically contact pads that run the power from the, the cradle into the into the unit. On I use the big um, on most of mine. I have the unit uh, mounted inside the the hard case. You know the and it holds everything still. But um, I haven't had a problem with that. But a lot of times when people are putting like iPhones, like iPhone plugs, you know, uh, aren't very robust. They don't like you know they don't like vibrating around, and they'll 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 the contacts will get kind of soiled. Um, you know, sometimes you can put dielectric grease on some stuff, but on other times it makes things worse. So, uh, it's, it kind of, man, I, I don't have a, I don't have a, <laughs> if you really need it, test it before you really need it. <laughs> test it in a non-stress situation would be the, uh, the best thing there. But, uh, and as far as like the tower mounts, which means it's connected to, uh, the the frame off the the head tube as opposed or you know some sort of connection off of the it's not connected to the handlebars uh, I haven't seen any advantages one way one way or another other than it seems like the stuff in the handlebars tend to survive uh, crashes a little bit better <laughs> because the bars move around a little bit and the towers tend to bend and crush and they're it's a little bit more fixed to the frame the bars can tend to move so. Uh, and Bob has a second question. Dealing with flex bars and proper mounting. Some flex bars and mounts are designed for taller riders and others just sit above the triple clamp. Could you discuss what works best for off-road riders? Should a steering stabilizer be included due to possible change in steering angles for taller riders? I find taller setups completely change the feel of the bike and the front wheel. So where is the sweet spot for mounting to get the best performance from a flex bar setup. So flex bars uh, have nothing to do with this kind of question in reality. Um, it's just handle it. So it's handlebar position and there's, there's the proper handlebar position for every rider. Um, I jokingly always say that the adventure riders are these days are drinking what we call high bar Kool-Aid Uh they try to find the highest, tallest mounts, and if boy, if we could have ape hangers on our adventure bikes, they'd be popular. <laughs> so, and the reason that you don't want to do the tall stuff, the high bars, everybody thinks, well, I need to reach my handlebars when I'm standing up. The thing is, you're not really standing straight up. And generally, when some guy goes and says, "Oh, you need taller handlebars," you're not moving. You're on a bike that's on a stand, or you know, somebody's holding your bike, and they go stand up, and then you reach down for the handlebars, and you can't you can't touch them. You're like an inch and a half, three inches too low, and they go, "Oh, you need bar risers." Well, the funny thing is, you think about when you're riding, the wind is blowing at you. You're, you, you know, you're leaning forward. You're kind of folding at the hips. You have about six inches of of adjustment in your body just by bending at the hips and bending at your ankles and using your shoulders. And people don't realize this. You're you're pretty dynamic. But when you start going with tall handlebars, it makes you stand more erect and upright. And then when you start accelerating, you're falling off the back of the motorcycle. You're not, you know, you think about it like, and I hate to use the word attack position because adventure riders really shouldn't be riding in an attack position. You should be riding in a balanced position in a balanced position going 30, 40, whatever miles an hour is actually leaning forward a little bit. It's, you know, the wind is pushing up against you. And, and when you start doing taller handlebars, then you sit down in the seat that's designed to give you 
a low seat height, not a comfortable position. All of a sudden, your handlebars are up at shoulder height. And so um, determining the proper bar position is um, – and I, I can sit there and watch most riders, but I have to watch them ride. And I have to watch their body dynamics because some people have long legs and some people have, what do you have, George? My inseams like 27 or something we, like that. We call that short legs. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And, uh, I don't have legs. A troll? A little troll like? <laughs> I'm picking on you tonight. <laughs> it's, I'm turning the tables until that, until, what are you drinking hey, tonight? What, what's your tequila? Can you hear that? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm actually drinking Jack and, uh, some kind of sprite. Right. Yeah, the, the, the insults will come later, right, Logan? Right. So uh, how tall are you total? What's the total the total height, George? I used to say I was 5'8", but I'm probably somewhere in there, 5'8", five, 5'7", five, or something. You're doing, you doing, you pulling the 5'7 and three quarters? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I jump, my feet don't lift, leave the ground. But, but, no, I'm long in the body. So, you know, as far as so you height need, standing on the bike, you know. You need like a three-inch bar riser. No, come on, <laughs> come on. Mine are a little too high just because I have that Scott sub mount so, on there. So, like with the so you know back to it, if you go to like an oversized handlebar, or actually most bikes come with the oversized handlebar and stuff, and then there's the steering damper. He kind of threw this into the equation, so you can mount the steering damper on on below the handlebar. It's called a sub mount, or above the handlebar, and then and then on the flex bar, you have to actually have a special crossbar. You know, so the, the damper can fit in there. And I, we used to have to bend, like even when we had Renthals, you have to bend the crossbar up so the damper can fit on top of that. But since everybody's kind of going to higher bars, it's kind of a trend. Most people are going to submounts, which typically raise the handlebars about three quarters of an inch from stock, which is just getting to the limit. I mean, for me, it's just a little bit too tall, and I have submounts on most of my bikes, but then I run a slightly lower uh, bend of handlebar, and I, I do run flex bars, and I run them the slightly – I don't run the, 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 the taller ones that I normally would run that are a little bit taller than stock. I run ones that are a little bit shorter, and so it, it depends on the bikes. And I have bikes that I single-track trail ride, and I have bikes that I use more for rally-type training or faster desert riding. And I have about a 15 millimeter difference in bar rise between those two two bikes. And even today, Heather and I were out riding, and we noticed one one bike. The bars were a little bit pulled back, and we rotated them forward to get them. I wanted to get them forward and and a little bit higher. And the minute we went a little bit too far forward, she noticed it like right away. It's like this isn't this isn't good. And it was because the bars were getting too far forward, and a lot of times the risers you know, place the bars in different spots. So it's not only up and down, it's forward and back. And, and it's a, it's a personal thing, but just don't make a decision with the bike on the stand, standing up level and reaching down at the handlebars. When you're riding, you're bending at the hips, you're, you're, you're falling forward to compensate for the acceleration, you know? So you, so you lean forward when you accelerate. And if you're already up and you're nice and balanced and level and your handlebars fit in your hand, when you accelerate, you're going to be falling off the back of the motorcycle. So, so do any of these companies work with you when you're trying to fit that stuff, Jimmy, because you can spend a bunch of money, um, you know, going uh, back and forth and everything. Cole at fast company flex handlebars is really good at, at explaining this stuff. I mean, he does it all day long. Uh, they, they have a, 
you know, they have some stuff uh, there and there's, there's lots of good, you know, different risers and bar mounts and stuff to move that all over the place. Um, I use BRP mounts, which is part of a Scott's stabilizer kit. I have st- a steering stabilizer on most of my bikes because I've never felt a bike that doesn't like a good steering sta- stabilizer. Um, so, you know, there's all different kinds of things. And when you start getting the handlebars in front of the steering stem, uh, it makes the bike unstable. Um, the, the only way I can explain that, it, it's easy, is think about if you're doing a pull-up. And if you actually have the pivot, if your, bar, if your, if your pull-up bar is on a pivot, you know, kind of like the steering stem of your handlebars, and the bars are underneath the pivot, and you pull yourself up, you're going to be pretty stable. It's not going to want to turn on you. I mean, you'll swing on it, but you're, you're not going to be turning it. But if you put the bars on top of the pivot and you start doing pull-ups, if you have one arm that's stronger than the other, it's going to turn to the direction, you know, a lot. It, it actually, boy, I need a physicist here because I didn't I didn't study that much that day in school. Do you, do you study physics yet? Not yet. Not yet. You need to so you can tell me that I'm full of it when I say this. But... If you think about it, when the when the when the when the pivot is is below the handlebars, it 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 acts differently. And I know for sure when you're when you're when you're riding and when you're accelerating, it actually and under braking when it's in front, it actually helps a little bit because all your force all of a sudden it's it's the other direction. You're not you're pushing on it as opposed to pulling on it. But most of the time when you you know, uh, it's a it's a tricky it's a conundrum. It depends on how you ride. <laughs> Does that make sense? Anybody? <laughs> Do we have any physicists, no. physicists out in the house? I didn't help any, George. Well, it's just it's a lever thing about how far you get away from that pivot point. It's you, the further you go, the the more leverage you're going to influence that, right? Yeah. When you're, you know, when you're, and and so I I find that when when the handlebars start getting in front of the steering stem, uh, I don't I don't like it. It feels like my hands swing. They don't they don't turn. It feels like they. It feels like the bars swing from side to side as opposed to turn. If that if that makes any sense, especially when you're trying to listen to this, we need a chart on the background. And well, well they would swing to side if, if the further they get from that pivot point, the more they're going to move to the left or right. Yeah, you know because the radius of what's moving out there is going to swing. I you think know, if it was I, three foot ahead of the bike. Yeah, imagine that, and and it does the same when it's behind it as well. I mean, they 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 kind of want to keep them on top. I mean, old old motorcycles were way behind the steering stem. I don't know if you remember this. Like old motorcycles, they had them really far back, and it had to do had to do with just they didn't they didn't have any way of you know you know it was, it was for stability really. You know that's that's why you have all these rake and trail numbers and different things that they were doing. And as as they've been able to get them to handle lighter, and when they're back there, it makes the bike feel heavy. You know, the, the, the more forward you can go, well, to a point, everything's to a point, the more forward you can go, the bike starts feeling lighter. So it's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit deceiving sometimes. So, okay. That was a long winded discussion on, on that. Bob, uh, yeah, you took up, uh, 20 minutes of our show. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) And I don't know if we really got anywhere with that, but it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, just don't go too far away from where the bike came. If that helps, like if you, if you really start, you know, doing something crazy, whether you're going height on the bars, you know, moving the bars forward or back, um, you know, unless you're a real strange creature with, you know, short body and super long arms or something weird like that. I don't, I would, I'd be careful. 
Um, okay. Logan, what's our next question? Um, Rick Gom. Gom. Are Nitro Mooses a idea good for long-distance races at higher speed as opposed to UHD tubes? Race, example, Vegas Reno. I'm concerned the heat will cause the moose failure over a long race at speed. I would know there are amazing for enduro-type applications. So the good thing is here is some of our guys from Dirt Bike Test, uh, both Trevor Hunter and Nick Stover, jumped in and said, we ran Nitro Mooses at Vegas Torino. And so they did good because I think the guys got fourth or something. They did they did pretty well there. I've um, tested the crap out of those things, and we pulled some out today, didn't we? What were we doing today, Logan? Pulling tubes and mooses out of wheels. Wheels. <laughs> <laughs> so uh you saw some that were pretty burnt up yeah yeah and uh but i mean it takes a lot to burn them up and if you put a fresh moose in a proper fitting tire and you lube it up good you would have no problem going out and doing any long distance race on a single cylinder motorcycle now if you start sticking them in adventure bikes where you're pushing, you know, 80 and 90 horsepower and 400 pounds and you start hitting hoop doos in them, how do I know this? Because I used to race a twin-cylinder rally bike, and we used to have a lot of problems with mooses. We tested a lot of mooses for formulation and different things to make them last. This isn't a problem for most people anymore. I would never run them in an adventure bike. It's just not the right application. But um, if it's a, like I said, proper size moose lubed up fresh in a good tire, you're not going to have any, any problems with them at all. I, I get, I get three or four, maybe five sometimes tires lifes out of a moose. I mean, you saw the ones we were pulling out today. They were, what were we, what were we calling them? What do we call the mooses? Uh. What did I say? What did I say? What what did I say? That is a, what kind of moose? Dead. Exactly. It was dead. Yeah. <laughs> the, the moose was no longer able to keep the bead on the tire. I yeah. mean, it just didn't have, it just, it, 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 it had shrunk. They shrink when they wear, they kind of wear on the edge, they shrink. Some of them had, had split and they'd come apart in the inside. You know, they dried out. There was some that had a lot of sand in them because I ride in sand dunes every so often and... Sand works its way in through the sidewalls and stuff. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be concerned with them. Nitro Moose is a great brand. Uh, they have really good products. Michelin makes really good mooses. Uh, there's a few others uh, that I've used before, but they're not that popular um, over here anymore. So, uh, hey, hey, along those lines with tubes, you always I know you. When we're working there at your place, you always keep heavy-duty tubes, put heavy-duty tubes in your stuff. Yes. So with a heavier tube, I mean, in my limited experience, most of my flats, I don't think a heavier-duty tube would have prevented it. You know, it's like if some it's, kind of puncture or whatever. I, I would um, I would say that a thicker, you know, tube would have a little bit, you know, a little bit more puncture resistance, maybe on the thorns and stuff. But if, you know, if it's a nail. eventually if, probably going to go through if, it. If a nail, yeah, if a nail's going to go into it, a nail's going to go into it. Um, but I, I run heavy-duty tubes. I don't run the ultra-heavy-duty tubes. And Kenda, I use Kenda tires, Kenda tubes. Kenda makes a, a heavy-duty and an ultra-heavy-duty. 
and excuse me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, the ultra heavy duty for me is kind of like overkill because where sometimes the, you know, it adds, it adds a certain amount of weight. And I think that, you know, if you're going to pinch, if you're going to really hit something hard enough to pinch it, we're just squeezing, you know, the crap out of it enough to make it split. Um, I've kind of found that the ultra heavy duty tubes that I've used split easier than the heavy duty ones. But the, the thin ones, the ones you would use if you were concerned about weight at like motocross and stuff like that, they tend to split kind of the easiest. Right, Jimmy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey, how come you didn't change his tire today? I was doing a lot of tires. Yeah, uh, that that would have been an easy one. He rode on it flat for a long ways. Yeah. yeah. So, um, anyways, that's the uh, that's that answer. I'm going to run into the chat room and see what we got here for some for some questions. Uh, did you see anything in there, George? Uh, I haven't so far, really. Let's see. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Victor's off probation now, so you can actually comment on Facebook. Well, that's good. Yeah, because he asked me, he was going to put a picture up, and he put a picture up of a KTM broken in half. Um, that's That must Rick, be some of Rick those just said KTM tears. Rick said something about bent rim, but I don't know what he needs to expand on that a little, Rick. <laughs> so. uh, ultra heavy duties, people are talking about different tubes. But basically, so your thought is a heavier or experience is the medium duty, heavy duty, not the super. Yeah, not the super uh, heavy. A little duty. less prone to pinch flats. I, th in my experience, that's the that's the, you know, that's essentially what I found over you know over all these years. When I put the super big thick, you know, Bridgestone makes some, Kenda makes some. I've seen a guy, it's like SRT or someone makes a super heavy tube, and every single one of those tubes I've ever put in, it ended. It's life ended in a pinch flat somehow. And I, I, don't, I don't think it was like I was running like extra low pressure because I had a heavy duty tube or anything like that. It just, they all pinched, uh, you know, hmm. so that, that was my experience. So I've stuck with the, and when I, when I raced desert, um, back in the day, I used to run heavy duty tubes. I was sponsored by Metzler and we ran their Metzler heavy duty tubes and I had good luck with them. And I, I stayed a lot of guys were running moose at the time and I stayed away from moose because I was having really, I was not getting flat tires with my setup and I wasn't running ridiculously high pressure, maybe 15 or something like that in the desert. So, um, yeah. Cause so, I just so rarely get flats and they're usually punctures, but I'm just a putt putter. I'm not likely to really bash over it you know, a rock or something like that. Oh, but you hit the stuff that, I mean, everybody hits stuff on accident. <laughs> so, um, okay. Jeff Prost, are you stoked for Shorty moving to Yamaha? Yeah. I'm super stoked that he's moving to Yamaha. I, I mean, I think it's great. He's, <laughs> I think it's awesome that he's out doing rally riding and stuff and, uh, uh, he gets to keep doing it. It's good. There's um, a lot of hubbub about changing a lot of those rally rules or something, I guess to, to, lower injuries or whatever do you see any of that flying around um they're, they're never going to do that i mean some of the commentary on it is just silly but well it's people yeah. it's people that don't understand i mean if you put it if you put guys in a race and you have a checkered flag and you say go for it 
somebody's going to go for it. And whether you put them on get mopeds. Hurt on 50s, we've proved that. Yeah, you can get hurt on a 50 in a flat track that has no bumps whatsoever. Right, Logan? Yeah. Yeah. I can get hurt on a dry lake bed. I mean, they're, they're talking air suits and all kinds of crap. And well, I mean, stuff, they, they I guess if, that's a technology will catch up to this to make it safer to some degree. But yeah, they, they do that. I mean, they, they tried to mandate neck braces for a while and, you know, now air, you know, air suits and it's they're all there. I'm glad they're having the discussion. But, you know, it's 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 racing and people say, oh, Dakar is so dangerous. It's like, where else do you race, you know, you know, 12 days in a row? You're doing 12 Baja 500s by yourself. Every day after day. And I mean, yeah, you're going to get tired. Fatigue's going to set. And you think about that many miles of that many guys pushing it that hard. You're going to have stuff is going to happen. If you ran the Baja 500 12 days in a row, you'd have way more accidents because there's there's way worse medical assistance and stuff down there. So there's 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 a lot of a lot of different things there. Okay, what's our next question, Logan? Um, this is Trevor Hunter on. No, he's he that, he he answered the Vegas Torino question. Yeah, and that's that one there. And we need to move Vid down. Good moto, to, second page. Uh, second page. George Vid has moto. a copy he of this. Vid yeah, moto. Okay. Been going through the archives the past couple month months. But now the stay-at-home orders are in place. I'm especially thankful for the being able to listen to these old shows. Is that what he said? That was it? That was it. The, that was it? Unless yeah. he went on to... No. I think he I continues on, bought a Husky TE300. I think that's Michael, though. That's oh, a different guy. Yeah. No, um, thanks, Vidmoto. Actually, Vidmoto reached out to me because he, he does uh, video production stuff, and he said... Um, uh, he said he'd like to help us out, and I definitely need some help there, as you can see <laughs> by all this stuff. <laughs> the uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, I it's a it's a tough job here putting all these things together, <laughs> and especially if I want to go riding. Um, Jeff Prost asks, "Will Shorty help Yamaha develop the rally bike? Uh, help all Yamaha bikes, or what?" I suspect. I think that they are going to build a new rally bike. Um, you know, their 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 current rally bike, I think, is is off the older frame, and I'm pretty sure they're working on one based on the newer frame, newer engine, and stuff like that. But I don't I don't know for sure. But I think that um, man, he's uh, he'll ride the wheels off of it. That's for sure. <laughs> if you want a guy to go out and test, he likes he likes to ride. Um, let's see. Next question. Um, Michael Boiling E. Boiling E. Bellini. 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 Bought a 2020 Husky TE 300i last July. Rode in Michigan and Colorado last summer, and the bike ran well, as I can tell. First two stroke. Late summer, the dealer said Husqvarna had a reflash for many my ECU. I shipped the dealer my ECU, and then they reflashed it. I inst- reinstalled and rode the bike for two days in Michigan. Again, the bike rode fa- fine, except it felt like had more engine braking. I changed the gear oil and have ridden it around the neighborhood once 
a month this winter with no issues. This weekend, the bike started with a the choke pulled out, then shut itself off. Now it won't idle and continues to foul plugs. I cleaned the plug and rode it around the town aggressively try and tried to clean it out, but it continues to foul plugs and won't idle. While riding around town, I've had to keep revving it to prevent it from stalling. Sounds like it's in Richner's in the wrong position or something. So it's it's a it's a it's a 2020 TPI Husky, and so I actually was curious about this. So I started emailing back and forth with. Got to give me the name. Oh, Michael. Michael. Yeah, Michael. So I emailed back and forth because I'm always kind of curious about. I, I needed a little more information, and so you know, what, what's the first thing I would say? What was the last thing you did right. to it? You know, what was the last thing you actually did? You pulled and, the choke out, <laughs> <laughs> and you push it in on that bike, don't you? Yeah, yeah. You push you it back, back in. The throttle off, and it pops it out. Uh, does it? Does it turn? Yeah. Does it? Does it? It's. I don't know. I've, I've never. Well. <laughs> When it was freezing cold out at King of the Hammers on your bike, I didn't have to touch the choke. It just pushed the yeah, button. Yeah, and started. I, think you, I think you push it in, and then you, you, you. I think, and it's, then you. It's like you a back the throttle against the stop a little, and it pops it out. But maybe that's my five hundred. Oh uh, yeah, one of those. It's like <laughs> so. Anyways, no, I'm pretty sure it's not. Is he didn't leave his choke on? Uh, so he, he, he well, no, he rolls. He, ro- he so I asked him. I said no. I asked him. I said, did you over oil your air filter? That was one of the questions I asked. Mm-hmm. I also I also asked, you know, so when you're riding it around, like the times you rode it around, are you are you riding it like low RPM, medium RPM, like never really cleaning the bike out? And I don't know his, his riding ability level. And some people like they turn the throttle like you know half and maybe three quarters, and they think they're cleaning it out. I mean, they think they're like letting it. They they're they're kind of afraid to really like let it go into overrev to really clean the bike out. So I was kind of curious because he says he, he after the reflash, and I know that the the reflash is good. Um, after the reflash, he said it worked perfect a few times. So it was it was I'm started looking for other other things uh and and he also sent me a picture of his spark plug and the funny thing is he sent me a picture picture of the spark plug and because he, he said look I I put a new spark plug in here and I rode it around and it's black and he sent me the picture of the spark plug shot from like a 90 degree angle looking straight at the side of the spark plug you know the long way not at the tip I mean I could kind of see the tip but when you read a spark plug, you read it down inside the hole of the tip. I mean, this is from old two-stroke days, by the way. And if right, you, it's like the porcelain, right? Before yeah, yeah the it's, it's the porcelain and all the way down into that, way deep in that channel. That's where you're really looking at. And the funny thing is, if you do a spark plug read, the way we used to do it, is you would warm your bike up and you'd ride it around. You'd you'd stop you'd take the old spark plug out you'd put a new spark plug in and you'd go do a run you would never let it sit in idle you'd never let it warm up in that spark plug you would just you it would be warmed up and you take it and you do a run and then you would read the spark plug and when you shut it down you would you'd go you you know you'd run through the gears you know wide open and you would just shut the throttle and stop you literally skid and stop you just, just kill it kill it yeah 
like that. That's how you, because any, if you rolled off, you're getting a different kind of read, you're, you know, what you're seeing. So it's deep down inside that tip. So I think he was, you know, he, he, it looked like <laughs> the threads of his spark plug were kind of dirty and black. Um, but where did, where did that light come from? How did that light turn on? Timer. No, it's not on a timer. Yeah. <laughs> Who turned the switch on? <laughs> that was weird. Uh, anyways, so, so running, um, uh, so spark plug reading is kind of like a, it's a lost art. And in reality, I, I don't think you need to, to read the spark plug. So what I suspect and, and two things, and he actually reached out to his dealer and his dealer gave him some good information. Also, his dealer told him that the hose that goes up to the, to the sensor, the, um, the sensor that is now the ambient pressure sensor that is kind of located on the, uh, it's kind of hooked up to the, the oil reservoir, the, the oil, the oil injection reservoir. That's where they have the, um, he, he said to check that hose to make sure it wasn't, it didn't have become plugged or gummed up. And my thought was that maybe if he was riding at low speed, like, you know, kind of like idling and never really cleaned a bike out. And I know people that do that. They ride their two strokes, you know, and never really, you know, not like the motocross guys on the start line that are just like, you know, and they're trying to, they, they want, when they, they turn it, they want no hesitation. Um, on, even on a bike that's, that's an oil injected bike like that, it's putting more oil than it, the bike's actually going to burn. And that oil's kind of like sticking all over inside that engine. Uh, it might even be sticking on those reed valves. Remember we had the discussion about how like you had to change the position of the thing because it made your reed valves oily? Or that was, a, that was a different bald guy. I don't remember. But anyways, so all that oil over time has to go someplace and it tends to pool up in the bottom of the crankcase. And if you never really rev the bike, it never really cleans out. They just there's more and more oil in there, and it's kind of it's kind of sticking to the crank, and it's sticking all over the engine. And then when you stop and let it sit, it all pools down to the bottom. And then there's there's maybe at the beginning if you're riding it, and every once in a while clean out, there's a little bit. And then if you never really clean out, there's a little bit more. And then there's a lot. And then if you never clean it out, maybe it could plug up a hose, or it could you know gum up some stuff. And because he also said he was experiencing some oil leaking out of his power valve cover, which lets me know that like it's trying to burn it and it gets up into the exhaust port and it starts, you know, filling so up, the, the, filling up the crevices. The, the fuel's evaporated, left oil behind probably, and that hasn't had time to work its way all the way out. Because he talks about riding it around town. And I got to tell you, I don't know what his town is, but... He ain't opening up that 300 <laughs> riding around unless, town. Unless it's Pahrump, you know. You, can, you didn't you, ask him what, what can, the ratio was He was of oil to gas he was putting in the tank, did you? Oh, uh, because it has oil injection, so he shouldn't <laughs> be putting – you know what? I, did, I, didn't, I didn't really go down that rabbit hole to say, hey, are, you aren't mixing the gas, right? I know it's a two-stroke, but you're, you're putting oil in the oil injector. And, no, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think he – I gave him more credit than that. Right. So How many hours are on that bike? How many hours? Yeah. I you know, not not a ton. I mean, I don't think it's a twenty twenty. So I would I would yeah. guess less than forty. Why you think it's worn out? No. What was that question for? Just a well, words at um, twenty hours. 
which is the new piston on a 125 KTM 2019, it needs a new piston. Not a, no, not on a 300. You can go 100 no, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I fouled the plug, and I was wondering if that could lead to it. You, you fouled a plug? Yeah. I'm surprised you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> you fouled a plug today? No. Or, I mean, this no. weekend? Um, At the track or on the trail ride? No, riding with my sister. Because you were riding, you because you were riding around really slow. Yeah, you're yeah. putt putting. Yes. On your on your 125 that needs to be, like, yes. rung out. Uh, yeah, that's that's a that's, race bike, man. <laughs> I mean, I you know I haven't fouled a plug for so long. I mean, I've got a I've got two KTM 200s in there that I lug around. I lug them a lot, and they both have uh. The same plug that I think I don't think I've changed the spark plug in the, yeah, of those the days bikes. of changing plugs are long behind yeah. us, I think. Mm. Especially so, when how much is that plug for that 2019? Uh, well, yeah, that was like the a, one they want you to put in there. Isn't that like no, 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 you know, you can plug? no, you yeah, it's not 470. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was south of no. $50, but yeah, it was like 40 bucks or something. Yeah, but you, you do not need to, um, you do not need to right. uh, go with, you know, go with that kind of plug. Uh, it actually they they switched it to the standard plug for twenty twenty. So, uh, okay, uh, that answers. So I don't. I, so I I would I would say really clean that thing out. So I don't know if he's in Michigan or he's in Iowa or he was someplace you know back east. He hasn't had a chance to ride it. I mean, you need to get that thing to some place where you can really clean it out. I mean, like. Like run it hard. Check check that um, hose to that sensor because if it's running rich, um, if that sensor is getting kind of weird information, uh, that that could cause it. But it's not a, it's as far as I know, it's not a known issue. Uh, and maybe, like I said, maybe you're just uh, using the three hundred like a three hundred is meant to be used. Just burr, burr, well, he said he said he said he he's ridden it around the neighborhood once a month this winter. If he's in Michigan, it's probably you know there's snow on the road. Yeah, and it's icy. Stuff, so. You're you're, ne- you're yeah, actually never you're never really opening up. You need to, you need to take that thing, and so warm it up, and then take the thing and take the throttle and turn it wide open. Just go ring, you know, you know, ring, you know, clean, clean yeah. it out. You can do it. You can do it without riding any place. And if if you're not blowing out exhaust out of that out of that silencer that has no oil vapor. Well, his pipe may be pretty <laughs> gummed up right now too, because wow. I mean, if it's spitting it out of the power valve cover, it's definitely gummed up inside the pipe and stuff. It's going to take a lot to clean that thing out, so you're probably never going to get put a new put a new exhaust system on it, and then then rev it and clean it so there's no more smoke coming out, and then you've cleaned it out. So, but I think your exhaust system has enough in it. Like I've had I've had exhaust systems that have a lot of car, you know, like like oil put into them actually so i had friends that used to like play jokes you know jokes and so it wasn't uncommon for someone to take two stroke oil or any kind of oil and pour it into the 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 end of your muffler they even did this on four strokes to different people at different times to pour it in there because your bike will smoke like a sieve we used to go to remember speedway heather when we when we sent Chris Alamangos out at Speedway and we poured like a quart of oil into the muffler on the XR100, it oh, it smoked like crazy. And actually, it, it steamed up people's goggles because <laughs> we really got it singing. 
But uh, yeah, so yeah, oil lasts a long time. Uh, okay. Um, that answers that question, hopefully. Hey, uh, but whatever you do, um, it's what was his name again? Michael, Josh, Fred? Michael. Michael. Michael, Michael let me know what you figure out because I, I want to know the answer to this one for sure. Actually, I should go start up Jeremy's bike and that's it's, it's, uh, it's been sitting here for three months without being started. I should go ride. I actually asked Heather if she wanted to ride it. And she says, I don't like riding Huskies because they vibrate. <laughs> she, she's coming from 1987 Huskies. They still, That's, vibrate. They still vibrate. They still vibrate. More than KTMs. Yes. It's the same as a KTM. I don't know what it hey, is. But it's a two-stroke. I'm reading the comments. Mike says he rode it like crazy last night. But I, he didn't post what his uh, result was. Yeah. I see dirt. It's dirt bike. Mike's his handle on here. He says he wrote it like crazy last night. A couple uh, things up. Huh? Yeah, I think that's. We'll post up, Mike. What was the result? Did it all burn out of there? Or what? <laughs> and is is your crazy is half it, throttle or is it is it running is it running clean? That's what we want to know. Is it running clean? And 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 it, how is that a uh, how is that um that hose the 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 hose to the uh, ambient air pressure sensor. Okay, Logan, give me that thing. I'm reading the next question. You're, hey, look, you're busy hey, yeah, pushing buttons. This is buttons. a good one with a name here. Go ahead. Got it? You want me to do it? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, Jordan Hubreetzed, I think. Did you practice that? Jordan No, Hubreetzed? but I'm looking at Jordan Hubreetzed. Right. I don't know if that's right. New injected KTM throttle position sensor setting and initialization, quoted, mentioned in the manual. Which, as I recall, wasn't that just like start it and shut it off or something a couple of times when you change altitudes? I don't remember. Um, no, that's he, he's talking about the uh, he's he's looking for the actual voltage that the throttle position sensor is supposed okay. to put out at okay. zero throttle. Some say nothing. Some say 0.4 volts with throttle stop backed all the way out. Some say 0.56 at idle, and some talk about lying idle periods. Or taking it to the dealer to recalibrate the idle. What is the right way, and is the dealer ECM reset necessary? The background is he has a 2016 FC 450. Uh, previous, see here we go back to what changed. Previous owner fiddled with the TPS apparently to reduce flameouts. Has been really hard to start when cold ever since, and everything else checks out. So. Jordan I think he answered his own question. No, Jordan, this is an excellent question. So, so you 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 know what the the problem was? Your previous owner probably did fiddle with the east the the um, throttle position sensor, which is basically a sensor that's bolted onto the side of the throttle body, and it has generally it has a tamper proof uh, um, uh, torques on it for a reason because they don't want you messing with it. And they usually mark it with a. They usually mark it with the um, the yellow paint pen so that you can see whether it's been dilly dally with. There's a lot of you can go to any forum on the internet and find out how to recalibrate your throttle position sensor. Some of that information is good because it tells you how to recalibrate it to zero. Some of it's bad because they say, oh, if you clock it to this voltage or that voltage, it'll do this. It'll fool your ECUs and into thinking that. With an FC450, that bike is non-emissions compliant, so you're not jacking with it to kind of make it run richer or leaner or whatever. You're trying to get some sort of a flame-out, you know, he called it a flame-out issue. Um, 
it's that's a that's a race four stroke, and nobody that's using that bike like it's supposed to has flame out issues because they're never riding that bike at that RPM. So uh, that's number one. So there, there in your manual, there is a voltage that's specifically for the throttle at zero position. So it, it when your throttle's at zero position, completely shut, um, there's a there's a voltage that corresponds with that. And then I think they, they have a range that shows what it should be when you open it all the way up. So that the it's essentially the ignition knows where the throttle is turned. That's how they work together. The and every bike is a little bit different, but your owner's hey, manual does, will Jimmy, have that. Jimmy Jimmy, where's your idle set out at this? At zero. I mean, when you say zero, do you back your idle all the way out? Or is it just because uh, um, idle can vary, right? Your idle. Yeah, yeah, but your your idle, so you have it you have a an idle RPM range. They 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 they, they will tell you okay. what where your bike's supposed to idle at, and that's zero. At you know Okay, so it's not truly shut in that sense that the idle screws all the way backed out. And it's, the throttle no, is no, totally shut, shut, shut. No, because then it's completely shut, and the bike will not idle. Because you can right. go, you can. That would be. I mean, they're essentially. But they're, if there's electricity going through it, you could still test the sensor, right? You, ideally, it it should be completely closed. It should be completely shut, and then and then the bike will idle. Because there's there's a bleed for a little bit of air, even at completely even at completely shut. It doesn't it doesn't completely shut down that orifice. Huh. So, so there's, there's a little bit, you know, so there's, there's always some bleed of air and then there's, there's the, there's the injector that can put the right amount of fuel in for that. But that's why the, that's why the idle RPM is so, so critical because you want to set your idle RPM into that position. Your throttle is at, is at zero and then you have your voltage. So it's, it's all kind of explained in the manual, but having the, the proper tool to check that is, is what's difficult because in order to see that. You have to be able to plug into the throttle position sensor, and if you plug into the throttle position sensor, your ECU can't tell what's going on. So they make some, you know, there's there's you know there's diagrams in the internet how to build something using a nine volt battery that will you can plug into it using a plug and and do it. There's also if you have the right kind of tools, and on the FC four fifty, I think you can use the KTM uh, the the user tool. You can plug into the uh, the 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 dealer plug. And then if you have, but you have to have the, the plug that goes to your computer and then you can read the, the, the parameters or you could take it to your dealer and your dealer can set it because they have the tool that will, that will set it. It should have been set. The thing is, if somebody jacked with it, um, it's going to be difficult unless you have some sort of a tool that will show you the voltage that that, that sensor is putting out. And I know you've told me that, that that's so sensitive that you could get it set, and then by the time you tighten the screw, it's off. Yes, right. It's that sensitive. So yes, it's kind of a pain. It's it's it is a pain. And and tedious, and, I guess. And, and here later. and here's here's in Jimmy's world of never doing anything exactly perfect. You know, I've had bikes that have been jacked with before, and they're bad, so I can't make it worse. So I've actually gone while the bike is running. And kind of like you you would adjust in the old days a fuel screw or an air screw and a carburetor, I've moved the throttle position sensor around to get the bike to idle properly. And it's been better than where it was, quote, reclocked by the uh, the so-called um, internet expert. 
that I think we used to do that with points to a certain extent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like like setting points on an ignition. So, uh, yeah, Jordan. Uh, hopefully, yeah, I think that that should answer your question. But the easiest thing to do would be take it to the dealer <laughs> to get it set perfectly. Um, that because that's what they will do. Uh, you could, I mean, if it's already super jacked up, if it doesn't feel like it's running right, uh, you could. Move it around like I just said by hand, and I'm talking. You're talking about moving it like, like a tenth of a degree, and and when you tighten that Torx bit back down, it can knock it out of whack. So you you literally have to kind of compensate for that, uh, or you can get a tool and uh, have it checked properly. Sounds like it's like tightening a bearing with a lock nut. You get the first part right, and then you tighten the lock nut. It's too tight or too loose or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, these things are, you know, you're asking for race machines, and uh, that's what you're getting. So, okay. Uh, Ryan Shoot asks, right there. What effect does SAG have on bike handling? How does test riders, how do test riders and manufacturers come up with such varied numbers for a specific bike by testing yeah <laughs> so so hey george you got to quit uh, 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 you know showing oh, sorry i thought i had it far enough away let me mute the phone here yeah swinging your drink around you hear me like here george you can hear that in your headphones yeah hey george uh gabe do you hear that when you edit you hear george playing with his ice uh, i didn't hear it last time you didn't hear it last time that's good um so the this how do they come up with the sag i'm pretty sure that like in the in the computer generated world of stuff they have an ideal ride height for the motorcycle you know they know how long they know how long the shock is they know how much they want the 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 we'll call the static sag the sag of just the weight of the bike they know how much they want the bike to sag with the ideal weight rider and then they actually go out and test it so in the manual and and i always always refer back to the manual i know you hate to look at those things but they're actually really good information uh inside of those manual manuals and uh it will tell you what their recommended ride height is and usually it's a range usually it's maybe from like a hundred and hundred to 110 or 110 to I, i've i haven't studied a manual lately <laughs> taking my own advice i was actually looking at one today actually the picture i put up for this podcast was a picture of some sag so i should have read it but i know how to check sag um so they give you a range and generally right in the middle is where they quote want it set but the reason that it's adjustable is because it changes the way that the bike works. It changes the attitude of the motorcycle. And so you start thinking about it, you kind of, you know, you hear like race car drivers talk about balance, like the balance of their car. And it's the same thing on a motorcycle, except we don't have four wheels. You're only dealing with two, which makes it kind of easy. So it's kind of forward and aft balance. Um, and, and the easiest one to adjust is sort of the sag, or the most critical one to, to adjust is sort of the sag. And so, so you think about it, the, when you're doing that, the bike is sort of pivoting uh, on the swing arm pivot and the front axle. You know, it, it's how it moves depending on where your sag is at. So I always start with their recommended. 
Now, when we go to like a, an intro, you know, when we're testing a brand new bike and you're there with the manufacturer and they, they always, before every rider gets on, they want to check the sag. That's how critical it is. They do not let, they won't let me hop on it after Trevor rode it because Trevor weighs 160 pounds and I'm 200 and I need to adjust the sag or the bike's not going to work properly. Generally, we're two turns of spring preload apart. You know, if, if I hop on it, they need to screw two turns in. And if I come off of it and Trevor wants to go back, they'll take two turns out. That's just a kind of a rough um, estimate. But they want to get the right height. Then you go ride the bike and you say, I think that it does this or I think it does that. Then maybe you make an adjustment uh, to, to the ride height. And so typically when bikes tend to be unstable or the steering is a little too too knifey, uh, or maybe the rear end is a little bit harsh, they'll say, hey, take some preload out of the shock. So you're lowering the bike down. Or maybe this turning is sluggish, you know, the opposite. Uh, it starts packing in the suspension. Uh, it's It feels vague in the front end. Uh, doesn't exit turns right. Then they'll say, maybe you need to add some spring preload. And the same can be done also for the front and usually with the front there's some bikes that have spring preload adjust on this fork so you can you know add preload to get the front end to ride higher or take preload away to get it to uh, ride lower you can also slide the forks up and down in the clamps a certain amount and so how do the manufacturers determine the the proper setup in their computers and all in their in everything when everything being ideal or whatever they set it at they kind of set it at standard and that's the way the bike's supposed to work and then when it comes over when you actually get the final production bike that that's been tested and when they test it you know they notice hey this bike's like riding a little bit high in the front they may set the fork standard they may slide them up in the clamps a little bit more than where they initially wanted they may deliver the bikes with a little you know at that point less spring preload to kind of turn the bike, you know, to pivot the bike down if that's what they felt better. But then you get it here and all of a sudden, well, it works differently. Even though the manual tells you to set it like this, they'll, with the media, they'll actually start having you, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll guide you along. They'll say, Hey, this is standard, but we found it works a lot better at 102 as opposed to 108. And they go, okay. So you try it and you see how it is. So, um, and then if you're a, a taller guy that rides more over the back of the bike, you may need more spring preload than a guy that rides over the front of the bike. He may need more preload on the front fork, you know, so it's, it, that's why it's adjustable and it, it, it does affect the handling and it's, it's where to start. But I always start, you know, generally with whatever the manual says, whatever the baseline is, or if, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, working with, you know, one of the manufacturers, they'll give you a guideline. They'll say, Hey, you know, we think it works better here. They, they usually know they're, they've, they've ridden the bike a lot more than I have at that point, And they're going to just save me a lot of time of going to try something. And if I don't like the way it feels, I know which direction to go. There's, there's all kinds of changes you can make, um, based on that. So, so, Hey, let me, let me ask something about just generally on sag so if logan and i were to get on the same bike and logan set we both set the static sag okay mm -hmm. the starting point and then i get on it 
I'm going to need a whole bunch of preload. In fact, maybe to the point that my static sag goes away, right? Because uh, there's so then, much preload well, if, on if, it. If, you're, if you're static... If, if it's just a, a just say a normal box stock bike. If your static sag goes away, that means your spring is way too soft. Right. Now, on the same sense, if Logan got on it and he gets on it and we set his same stat, start at the same static sag, and then he gets on it and we set his sag riding, and he gets off it and he has like three inches of static sag, right? Wouldn't that kind of be the the same? Uh, he'd have to get a lighter you'd be sprung too strong, right? Yeah, if, well if he if he hops if he hops off of it, if if if, if there's like I, I I guess I have to If we set the rider sag. Rider sag. For Logan, which we'd probably say back it way out. You know, we'd probably have right. to take a lot of from where we started with static sag, we both started at the same spot. Yeah, static so static so sag he gets is, on it. It's usually it's usually like um like an inch or right. you know, three quarters of an inch to an inch is ideal. If if you get three quarters of an inch to an inch, and then you hop on the bike, and then you're down, you know, down or that's thirty five millimeters roughly, and then you get on it, and it goes. You get on it, you do the sag with the rider on the bike. It goes down to a hundred millimeters or three and three quarters let's inches. Say, so with Logan being light, and we'd probably take preload out to get it to the right sag, and now our static sag would be Top really. To- really long right we'd have to say conclude we could easily conclude okay now he needs a lighter spring so you want both those numbers to get close right yes yeah and 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 there's there's charts that kind of determine that stuff that you know kind of show you show you where it where it's at but um it's it's like I say, that's they 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 set them up for you know depending on the size of the bike they set them up for what they consider their average rider to be. That's where they determine they don't just throw any springs on it. They set right. the springs for for that. So uh, okay, what what's our next? Where's our next question? This is about right. the Husky FE five hundred one S. Brian Hammer asks Hamner, any thoughts on how the five hundred one non S compares? I can play either in my state, but the non-S is a grand cheaper. I ride trails more than street, but interested in both. Brian, if you do not have to have the S, I would get the non-S, especially with a thousand bucks cheaper, because there's just less stuff to break on it. Um, little things, just lights and stuff like that. Uh, but the interesting thing, and and I kind of found this on the Huskies, is I actually preferred the power on the S. Because the as the motors, the crank inertia, everything's getting lighter and a lot more free revving. What they did to give it that little bit more power, because the muffler doesn't have the little insert in there and stuff like that, it seemed like it revved up a little bit quicker. You know, the 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 non S did, and it 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 didn't get as good of traction. Maybe the extra pound or two of weight. I don't know what, but it, but it was it was mostly to do with just that the motor on the non S revved up a little quicker so if you're a heavier dude and i guess i'm kind of on the heavier side but i still liked the i i thought i was able to trail ride and and just get traction on the s a little bit better but it it it's not it's i mean if i had the bike i would put a fuel tuner on it and then i could fix it real quick uh with doing just adding a little well, bit of fuel those bikes have that traction control feature too don't they they have they do they have uh the the non s 
has the traction control button on it. So it has the yeah, two okay. different maps and and which is good. Um, I, I would rode go, that bike around. I liked it. I would go with the non S every. I mean, every single time, with no questions about it. But knowing that I would kind of play around with the 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 power delivery a little bit on either of them. And in all honesty, on either of them, I would change it. But the non S had that. What was it? Two settings for mapping, and then you could put traction control on and off or something. Um, Is that how that was? I wrote it a little bit. Yeah. It. 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 Uh, the traction control didn't help. It didn't. It didn't was, seem to do it much. Didn't, it didn't seem to do much. Uh, where you know where when I where I was riding it and what I was doing it. I like they've they've made a they've made a pretty on the on the motocross bikes. They've actually made the maps quite different and it's noticeable. And I don't think that's come that far on the uh, on that particular bike just yet. So um, well, I'd say I'd say if, if he's got to put turn signals and lights on it, spend a thousand dollars and get the one that's all ready to go and start riding it. I mean, he's going to no, get a twelve hundred dollar check here for this. No, he he, 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 <laughs> he doesn't need he doesn't need he doesn't need to uh, spend the uh, the the he actually usually in a state like that, you don't need to put the turn signals on. So uh, it's not an issue. So chills to you asks us. Uh, how is the smoothness of this bike? I had a 450L, modded it with a pipe and a Vortex ECU. It would put my hands and backside to sleep, riding it for 20 minutes on the street, still chasing after the high-performance trail bike that I can ride to the trails. If you had a KTM four, five hundred, <laughs> <laughs> if you had a, if you had a Honda 450L, and it doesn't matter what you did to it. And it put your hands to sleep. Do not, do not get a Husky or a KTM because <laughs> it's the Honda is way nicer on the street. Uh, it just has, it's just the motor is seemed like everything about the motor is a little bit more like balanced and a little bit smoother. And um, so I don't, I don't know that, you know, what you did, you know, like when you start changing stuff like the Vortex and all that stuff like that, it can make the bike run a little bit funky. Uh, it could make it vibrate more. So, uh, but I, I don't know that you're, you know, jumping to the Husky is going to make your road commuting that much better. Uh, I just don't care because I treat it as a dirt bike. <laughs> and, uh, if you, if you want a dirt bike, you're never going to have good performance on the street. There's no, there's no magic unicorn out there. Um, that's for sure. What's our next one, Logan? Um, KF says he's an old novice rider coming from a YZ 426. Should he get the Husky 501 or the KTM 500? George, what do you say? Well, is that what he asked? Because all I see is this or the KTM. Is he talking the YZ? No, no, he, no so okay. he's the husky. Com- he's he's coming off. He's 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 actually asking about the husky or the KTM. It doesn't matter if you're coming off a YZ four twenty six. You're talking about light years of difference. You would love either of those bikes. They'll both be awesome. Um, uh, I always say KTM five hundred. Don't I? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but you know it doesn't have a linkage, and you're coming from a Yamaha, and your Yamaha had a linkage, and you know how that you know if you're racing more parts to fail. Yeah, no, whatever works. Hey, uh, somebody asked about what tequila it is. This is my um my Valentine's present. It's my uh, Siembra Siembre Valles. Yeah, that's what I'm having tonight. What are uh, what's, what's our next question, Logan? 
Well, hey, I want to know first what uh, Heather thinks of your Ron Jeremy mustache. Heather, what do you think of my my uh, caterpillar that's growing on my lip? R- Ron Jeremy. That's he, a George is calling it a Ron thing. Jeremy uh, mustache. Not, not my favorite. Not her favorite. Yeah. 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 So, okay, what's the next one, Logan? Um, Marcus Smallwood. Nothing wrong with a 12K bike. Hey, speaking of a porn name, what's that name again? Marcus Smallwood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marcus, what? Smallwood. Smallwood. <laughs> Go ahead. Nothing wrong with a twelve thousand dollar bike, especially not when it's a dual sport and that well designed. You can commute on it. High high seat allows for great visibility. It's just not the ideal highway bike. But hey, on the dirt or in the city, it's a winner. I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're talking, I mean, $12,000, that's a lot of money. But you think about what you're getting. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, I mean, you, and there's very few other motorsports or sports in general, you can buy something that's that high performance and, and, you know, the thrills per dollar are pretty high on the, uh, on the current bike. So, yes. Buy agreed. a Raptor. <laughs> what, is, what does a Raptor cost? Ford Raptor cost? So you can buy a Raptor. Brand new in there up there. Yeah, and they still don't drive like a trophy truck. But, well, pretty yeah, close. So. Yeah. I can, ride, I, can ride, I can ride that Husky across the desert as fast as you can drive your Raptor. Easy. In Much parts. lower price. <laughs> so, I can't listen to the stereo like you can, but. Uh, no. Okay, next one. KTM 300. Um. Mike Sarton, brilliant. I have really been tossed up whether to buy one or not, and this has nailed it for me. Well done. Well, be, we'll be paying the money. So I sold a KTM 300. I don't know. You, you don't know. It. That's what you did. You, you just read the question. I wrote word for word. It uh, says KTM 300. I know what it says. I, he says he basically says. Let me see that thing. He basically says right here. He says, "I've really been tossing up whether to buy one or not, and this has nailed it for me." Well done. We'll be paying the money. It's where the commas are that he didn't put in there. That's the problem. You know, he 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 just has a hard time writing it. Uh, Charles Miller says, "I forked over the money. I have nothing but smiles when I ride. It really pulls." From down in the basement like a four-stroke, but that nice two-stroke pull that I've always loved. I'm no expert, but I'm a happy customer. Also, third gear seems to be really good at everything. Heck, I can even take off in third gear with these. Great bike. See, Heather, you didn't even say it vibrated. Yeah, it's a great bike. Uh, uh, what's the Tour of Idaho question? Um, Enrich... Good Emont. Right. What tires do you use? Noose. Noose setup. Noose. Nice. 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 You got to You got to You got to kind of. You got to do autocorrect on these guys when you're reading them because I just cut and paste them. So he's asking about what tires I use in the Tour of Idaho. I use Kenda Parker DTs front and rear. I ran heavy duty tubes, and. uh 
they lasted the whole time. They were completely wasted at the end of the tour, and uh, I had no flats, and they were awesome. So I would use them well, again. Me. I would use them again, but I would run nitro mooses. <laughs> so, because uh, then I would have to carry, because I carried two tubes or maybe three tubes with me when I did the tour, because I did it unsupported, but uh, that way I'd only have to carry one tube, and I would never have to use it either. You want me to read this next one, Jimmy? Go for it. This is a good one. This is really important to you. <laughs> I, I'm reaching out because I wanted to share this unique opportunity. Grow your brand's social media presence. Oh, do not say that. Do not say the name of the influencer. Influencers we're working with in March. We've partnered with. There's a bunch. Of, Smile rise, rise, rise. Why don't Why don't you want to share them? Who cares? I don't because for an Instagram promotion that will launch on March 25. Well, that's come and gone. Oppor another opportunity missed. Oh. Uh, so somebody be asking this. No, he wanted to share a unique, what was it? Unique opportunity to grow your brand's social media presence. That's first paragraph. Right. Should I, should I have bid on this, George? As my, as my, well, uh, it's, as it's my past, spirit so it monkey? Matter. Let me, let me, no, let me, let me finish this. Cause I get these emails too. <laughs> Uh, you're that wait, you're that popular 1.1 million followers on Instagram to follow a group of brands in order to qualify to win a prize. So you have to qualify. Okay. These brands will be participating in a quote group buy that will allow them to gain exposure and qualified targeted followers from its audience at a fraction of the cost at a fraction of the cost. So, you're going to save money to spend well, money. Well, here's, here's, I have to, okay, full disclosure here. Um, this is the stuff you ought to be sending out, you know, because well, if two idiots hit on it, you're making more than what you are now. Right. But full disclosure, <laughs> because this guy, this guy, so I've, I've been Insta raped before. Uh, I, I had, I had some Insta, I had some Insta stuff, and I don't know whether I picked up any um, bad Insta diseases. And and I and so I might be contaminated on that. So could be a carrier. Yeah, sure. I could be a carrier of, of the Instagram. But he's and he's got one million, one point one million followers. I mean, think about that. I could really that. No, that, I'm too contagious. I can't do that. So if you <laughs> subtract my twelve from his one point one, what's that number? I wonder. So anyway, it's, it's a nine one million nine hundred thousand. 988. Did I do that math? But wait, right? there's more. There's oh, more. but wait, there's more. This is him again. On top of new followers gain, we have a bonus entry. Bonus entry where people enter their name and email address. Oh, that doesn't cost you anything, does it? And you'll get all of the emails submitted to use. For your marketing purposes, so, so if, you'll get all these emails they rate from other people. So if I insta if I insta hook up with this 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 guy, that I'm going to be able to get your email address and I can send you junk emails or something. It's probably a 14 year old in some foreign country. That, uh, <laughs> oh, anyway. Logan, did you send me this? No, I got one of my friends too. Oh, jeez. But that's good. Yeah, Logan's well, Logan might be into that. I can see him getting into that. Uh, what Insta raping people? Yeah, he hardly no, does his Instagram. No, you got to follow Logan on Instagram. What did you? Did I do you, follow. Did you shoot him. pictures Logan's of your handle? moose of your moose mustache? 
Yeah. He, so Logan was changing moose. Uh, he's changing tires. I had him stripping tires off today, and there's like the moose goo, and he got it all over his fingers, and I think he went and wiped his nose, and I didn't say anything, but I felt bad. Like like about 20 minutes before the show, I said, Logan, you got to go clean yourself up because you're looking pretty you're looking pretty rough. You saw, yeah? No. You didn't? Did you just clean your face? Yeah. Yeah. I just cleaned it because. Yeah, just cleaned it because. Yeah, because you had a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so... What did you learn today about changing tires? How to do it? R- right. Like, what's the most important more thing? On it. What's the What's the most important thing you learned today? Take it off the rim. Besides, how about the one where I showed you how to deflect the tire on that comes up and it's going to hit you in the face? Oh yeah. Because I got one today. Yeah. Yeah, I Good got one. one. I got one in the chin. I took really. One. Oh yeah, flew up. I it was it was it got me. I was telling them how not to let it hit you in the face because I say they always do. I mean, there's tire irons flying, and uh, wow, you need a tire machine. That's what I learned changing tires with Jimmy. Well, he was try- he was using your machine. He he doesn't even have enough leverage to pop the bead to break the bead with that machine. I don't no, know. He needs a tire to- machine. Oh, a real machine. He needs a tire machine. You, yeah. sh- you should have bought that house out here that came with a tire machine. Well, that wasn't the right one, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, okay, what's our, we got another one? Um, Mike McKingay. George? Sounds, sounds good. No, he doesn't have that question. McCage. Oh, he McCage. does. Mike McCage. Yep. What is your preference, motor brake and method, and why? I think I've done them all. Never really noticed much a difference. Although one time I did have more smoky... Have a more smoky four-stroke when the bike was warmed up. So, Mike, uh, man, <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of, of uh, myths about how to break in your bike, and some people do it absolutely by the book. Other people just take them out and ride them. Uh, all different kinds of things. And my just globalized opinion of, uh, I don't think it really makes that big of a difference for the regular dude. Just if you just go out and ride it and be easy on it in the beginning, uh, you're going to be fine. You know, if you're rebuilding a top end, I've seen guys, I've seen tuners that rebuild a, a, you know, whether it's two stroke or four stroke. And the first thing they do is they put it on the dyno and run it wide open. I've seen other guys that have this ritualistic thing where they heat it up to a certain temperature and they go through all these things. I've ridden bikes that have been done differently and I can't tell that much either. I think it's more about like what you do when you build it, you know, how you, how you assemble it. And, and in reality, some of the best motors that I've ever ridden, uh, were prepped by some of the best mechanics and tuners that I've ever seen were, it was in the assembly, the meticulous assembly, just making sure that the parts were perfect that went in, um, you know, making sure things like ring end gap and and you know you know valve cl- valve lash and torques. You know the way that they torqued the bolts that were that were that were anti seized at the threads and just the level of that. I think if you've got a motor that's done like that, you can just take it, fire it up, hold it wide open, and it's 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 good to go. Um, all that bedding in and seating in. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure there's something to it, and you can probably. If you could figure out what Formula One teams do, you know, I think those those motors are kept on a on a heater the whole time, right? They don't let them cool down, or they heat them up, they preheat them up and stuff like that. I mean, maybe that would be where you'd go. But do you really? Is it? Does it really matter? I mean, does it? 
you, you know, I just want my bike to be durable and I want to have a good time on it and I want it to run properly. And that's, uh, you know, what I've always, I've heard over the years and kind of subscribed to was, you know, don't lug a brand new motor. Don't necessarily weigh over, rev a brand new motor and don't hold it at one constant speed for a long time, which in your world, you never doing really. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then the other, only other thing that sort of made sense to me was the guy said every now and then just close the throttle when you're riding along because the vacuum might create some, you know, oil draw up towards the cylinder or piston rings or something like that. But even those tolerances, I think are so tight now that's probably not really happening, but yeah, just, just for a little while and then just whack it. You know I mean? I don't think you need these long breaking periods and BS. Yeah. I think like I said, the manual will tell you exactly how they want you, uh, they want you to, uh, break stuff in and and but that's uh, pretty know, conservative i mean yeah you know. i've just been i just i just take them out and i mean i i know that you know some of the manufacturers break the bikes in on dynos and i think the reason they do it is because they want to give the ones that run a little bit better than the other ones because there are production tolerances to certain media outlets that actually might feel that difference and um or they want to they want to weed out any bike that may not be up to you know, up to spec and you know quote like a lemon which is kind of rare but that kind of stuff does happen but as far as like you know after i put a top in and stuff i i usually my my routine honest to goodness my routine is i'll let's say i put a top in in a motorcycle i'll start the bike up let it idle for a little while rev it a little bit you know get it to where it warms up and then shut it off and let it cool down i might do it one more time and then i take it out and like for the first 10 minutes ride it easy just mostly it's so that i find out that jimmy didn't put some you know jimmy didn't put the circlip in good and instead of launching the whole thing uh just you know it makes a squeaking noise and i go oh i gotta take it apart which rarely ever happens but you know it has but you know just it i i've I've never noticed that big of a um a change based on how i'm breaking a motor in hey did you guys flat track today uh no no just change tires yeah, yeah. just change tires huh? yeah it was a two a, to five two to five logging those hours uh kip boosie asked the question if you're long-legged and ride all terrain is it more desirable to lower pegs rather than change the seat height also a tall rider should move the pegs back a little so kip uh, my answer to this is um lower this well is the seat too high <laughs> let's see if you're lowering the foot pegs you're trying to raise the seat height i guess i don't like lowering the foot pegs down because it puts my feet closer to the ground and especially usually taller guys have bigger feet and you don't want them any closer to the ground so uh i would raise the seat height uh, before i would lower the foot pegs unless i was building an extreme enduro bike and then you know then i you know would tend to have the back end of the bike i would lower the subframe before i would um yeah it's 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 uh yeah lowering the 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 foot pegs is usually not the most ideal way to do things uh but tall guys tend to get their legs kind of folded up like tent sticks and then they're hard to get out of the way so um yeah low yeah oh. and but moving them back it depends it it's it's just like setting your ride height it's just like you know moving or sliding your forks up in the clamp it changes the dynamics of the bike i noticed like on my rally bike 
I ended up moving my foot pegs back, and it really helped out. It it and that was a really strange bike because the cylinders were sticking out the side of the motor. So uh, different, you know, different kind kinds of different kinds of things. So we got it, Logan. Yeah. You got any other questions? No. You don't. How come you didn't pimp my chapstick? The Jimmy Lewis Off Road Chapstick. It's for the riding schools that are closed down, because I can't I can't have riding schools right now. Yeah, you're unemployed, huh? I'm unemployed. I am uh, totally mm. unemployed. I'm going to go pick up a motorcycle that I can't talk about until April fifteenth tomorrow, and test it. So, some some, some that- super top secret stuff coming out. I'll find out the rules and regulations of that. Uh, but uh, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and other than that, um, what do they call that? You picking em- up a motorcycle? Embar- is that- it's called embargo. No, no. What's the term they're using now? You, you got. You can't go to work unless you're essential. Is that an essential task, Jimmy? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's essential. It's it's my livelihood. In your world, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that motorcycle could be used to uh, transport medical supplies. You know. That's true. <laughs> you, you know, it could actually that motorcycle could keep me sane, and then uh, it, I don't do anything stupid. Keep you out of the bell towers for another thirty days, huh? Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't really know where where this lockdown is going. But hey, if you're listening to this or seeing this or viewing this, uh, Logan, where can you find uh, Tech Talk Taco Tuesday? On SoundCloud and iTunes now. Right. Do you know how to load those up yet? Mostly. Mostly. Because how many of those are we getting up a week now in this lockdown environment we're in? Uh, I have nine edited ready to go. Nine edited ready to go. Wow. That's good. Um, and if you want to... Be careful. I heard there's four cases of corona in Perum. Really? Something like... Or maybe that's all in Nye County. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> they, 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 they only do it. They only do it by uh, Nye County. We're all, we're all good. And... Uh, so I'm gonna I'm paying I'm paying uh, Gabe and Logan by the episode. So if you want to donate, I'll I'll figure out how to uh, do that really quick because uh, you know we're we're gonna try to keep the kids employed around here. But anyways, uh, thanks everybody for watching. We had uh, up to 47. I managed to kill it down to 33 because it just Jimmy no, it was over on 50. And on. It got up to 50 at least. Really? I saw Ricky yeah. Brabeck out there. He came back. Yeah. He came back from Mexico. He wanted to know what I was doing. Yep. Uh not making more rallies for you to ride. You have to make more rallies for you to ride because everybody needs to make rallies. Um, When's Andrew coming out? He's making rallies and stuff. I saw that on his Instagram. He's making rallies too. Uh, we're all making rallies. Um, we. I was out riding. Uh, Mason's places. even making his own rallies. I think the problem is, is all the software is changing right now to the newer, the newer style, the newer lexicons, and with the coloring and all that stuff. So. If if it doesn't update, then essentially the stuff we make right now could be outdated. But uh, they're they're working on it. There's guys. There's smart. There's people a lot smarter than me that are working on that stuff. So it'll be uh, it'll be super awesome. Hey, uh, by the way, thanks everybody for joining in. Um, we will uh, be back next Tuesday with um, answering more of your questions. Uh, I'll learn something new between now and then and tell another story. Right. Yeah. Yep. You're gonna you're gonna be doing those mooses all by yourself next week. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's all I needed to hear. Uh, with that, uh, we're signing out. So everybody, stay safe. Be healthy. 
Um, and we will see you out in the trail. Cheers. So that exciting episode of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday was brought to you by Recluse. Recluse is a maker of incredible auto clutches and a whole lot more in the clutch department. They make street bike clutches. They make dirt bike clutches. They have clutches for your adventure bike. Some of them are auto clutches. They make a lot of replacement parts in the manual clutch, their torque drive system. There's little parts like slave units. There's protection parts. There's a left-hand rear brake, all kinds of stuff for your clutch and transmission, even oil. So if you need to know a little bit more about Recluse, you can always check them out at www.recluse.com. That's spelled R-E-K-L-U-S-E, proudly designed and manufactured in Idaho. Remember to support all of the sponsors that support this show, and we will see you in the next episode.